for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 520 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This week I have a great interview with Ryan Clater, a comic creator and educator. He teaches about comics at Michigan State University, and he has a Kickstarter going on right now for A Hunter's Tale, a 32-page full-color comic book. It's based on a poem written by his grandfather, Charles Kermit Clater. We discuss how the book came to be, about the comics courses he teaches at MSU, and other interests, including pinball and helping other creators make a living in the industry. His Kickstarter is doing very well, but you can help him reach excellent stretch goals, so be sure to back this project after you've listened to our interview. There is a lot to get to in this episode, so let's get on with the show! It's great to welcome to the podcast Ryan Claytor, who identifies himself as a university professor and comics artist from Michigan. How's it going, Ryan? It's really great, Wayne. I'm so happy to be talking with you here tonight. Uh, thank you for having me on your show. It's good to talk with you, and uh, you and I have been talking about doing this interview for several months now. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, you plan far in advance, much more uh, in advance than I am used to. But the good news is we, we will get this done, and we'll have this right in an important time. Uh, this is going to come out in a time when you're running a Kickstarter. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, so the Kickstarter that Wayne just mentioned is for a brand new comic book I'm coming out with called A Hunter's Tale. And if anybody wants to find it, you can go to www.ahunterstale.com. And uh, the story behind this book is that it's uh, the script for it is actually a poem that my grandfather wrote. Uh, almost 40 years ago now. And my grandfather is no longer with us, but uh, he left behind a body of poetry. Um, so I have, you know, a few dozen poems of his, and I've read through them all multiple times, of course. And whenever I got to this one in particular, I just get stopped in my tracks. You know, it just, it resonates with me so much because ultimately it's about reciprocated empathy you know it's about these two seemingly very disparate characters a hunter and his prey and how they form this unlikely understanding of one another and i i just i feel like now is the right time to uh to come out with something like this at least it felt like the right time to start working on it this past year um you know we've all been through the last couple years as a global community together. And uh, I feel like something that's really fallen out of our daily life is, is conversation, you know, uh, empathetic conversation, really trying to understand another person who is different from you. Their viewpoints are different from you. Their upbringing is different from you. Instead of just, you know, shutting them out and, you know, defriending people and refusing to have a conversation. Uh, I, I think this poem, this comic, you know, essentially I'm, uh, 
taking my grandfather's poem and turning it into comic book form. And I am hoping to print a number of copies of these uh, if this Kickstarter goes well. So um, I, I really want to share my grandfather's work with a wider audience than he probably ever expected it to reach. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm just, I don't know, I'm so excited about this project. I've been working on it for the past half a year now, and uh, now it is complete. It's time for it to come to fruition. And uh, at the end of January here, um, it will uh, hopefully go to print. <laughs> so you, you can check that out at ahunterstale.com. You know, you made, uh, during our first communication, uh, some of the pages in black and white format available to me. And I was really intrigued by it because, you know, this takes place in a time period, obviously, when, you know, there aren't no cell phones around to, to keep us, you know, uh, constantly in touch with each other, which is one thing I've learned. I can't get away from my employment. They're, the, the, my employers are constantly writing to me, where's my stuff? So it's interesting that this all takes place during one of those times when we didn't have that, you know, which I think was a much more – it's interesting to me you say the stuff you do because I've often thought even though we have more ways to communicate and even though I see more people on their phone talking <laughs> to other people, we seem to be communicating less. Mm-hmm. Which just drives me crazy. I, I, how can we spend all this time talking to each other and not t telling each other anything? Yeah, it's it's true, and and it's so easy to curate a friends list of people who think the same way that you do, right? Mm -hmm. And then just not interact with people who have different opinions than you. Um, you know, like like my grandfather. You know, when I first encountered this poem and read the title of it, I thought, oh man, I. I don't even know if I want to read this because I am not a hunter. I have, uh, I don't even like to fish. You know, I, I don't like grabbing the fish and having it like squirm around in my hand. I don't even like threading the hook with a worm because I can feel the worm just, you know, writhing in pain and it drives me crazy. So I, I, my, my son wanted to, my son is eight years old right now. He wanted to go fishing. And so I, I took him to a buddy who has a boat and we all went out there, but I just kind of, <laughs> sat on the sidelines and encouraged him, but I, that is not the thing that I'm interested in. So when I encountered this poem, I, I read through it and was just floored by, you know, the message, the storytelling, the visuals. And, uh, it really got me thinking about my grandfather, of course, cause he's the one who wrote it, mm -hmm. but yes, he was a hunter, but he lived a wildly different life than the one I live and maybe you do and maybe others do too. Um, you know, he was born in the early 1900s and was diagnosed with tuberculosis at a very young age. Um, so, uh, from my understanding at that time, TB was essentially a death sentence. And so they told him, look, you're, one and only remote chance is to go out. You know, he was living in a tiny town called Alma, Illinois, you know, in the Midwest here. And uh, they said, your one and only hope is to go out to the deserts of Arizona and hope that the dry desert air will clear up your tuberculosis. And so that's what he did. He went out to the deserts and lived off the land. And, you know, I, I guess you can surmise since I am here, he made it through that, but uh, he was, 
hunting his own food. He had to live off the land. And he was doing so in such a way that he had to be a very good shot because a game warden was nearby and it was illegal to live off the land and shoot animals out there. And so he basically had one shot to shoot his dinner for the night. And if he missed it, he could not take another one because then the game warden would find out where he was and, you know, bring him in and take him to jail. And then, of course, he's not out in the, the dry desert air that's going to, you know, hopefully allow him to survive. So I was trying to think about all this and, you know, really put myself in his shoes. And if I were in that position, uh, would I still be standoffish or squeamish about, you know, threading a worm through a hook or hunting my own dinner, you know, I, I probably would have done the same thing that he did. I, I live in a very privileged position where I can go to a grocery store and purchase an already <laughs> uh, prepared food, meal, meat, vegetables, whatever I want is right there for me. But, uh, you know, in, in this very different time, uh, he did not have that luxury available to him. So it was really like a lesson in empathy for me reading through this, even toward my own family members, like understanding where they came from and understanding what they went through. Well, let me ask a question, though. It's, it's very cold, in the place where this takes place, does this does a hunter's tale take place in Arizona? No. So um, I set this in Colorado, which is where my grandfather retired. He uh, got this little cabin on the North Fork of the Gunnison River, and I remember visiting him in Colorado. I, I used to live in California. We'd drive out there, you know, my my nuclear family growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would visit them and stay in their little guest cabin there, and we'd go inner tubing down the river that runs right next to their cabin. That that first page of the comic that you'll see when you hit the Kickstarter campaign is basically a an illustrated recreation of their cabin. Mm-hmm. I do not have any pictures of that cabin. I wish I did, mm-hmm. but I I drew that from memory and thinking you know I I know that some of this is correct and probably some is not but this the second i showed it to my parents both of them said oh wow that's that's grandpa's cabin that's i mean you you got it because uh, i was asking them for photographs just for you know sake of authentic authenticity but i i did not get those but i think it came out all right ultimately the it's the the message of you know living out in the wilderness and living off the land, uh, more or less. And, um, you know, having this remote area that he was able to interact with out there. It's, it's interesting because, well, I got to ask a question though. Um, you said that the doctors told him that if he went to Arizona, he should hope that the, the dry and the warm would keep him healthy. If that was what he thought he needed to do, why did he go to Colorado? So, Colorado is where he retired. He was very young when he was diagnosed with TB. And uh, he went out to Arizona, uh, lived there for a great number of years, worked on the railroad. Uh, But then in retirement, he moved out there. And I suppose by that time, um, it was not affecting him anymore. Hmm. So, uh, but yeah, that's, that's a good question. I, I, I have never thought to ask that question. I only knew, you know, 
grandpa lives in Colorado. Mm. <laughs> I didn't really think about could that come back? Would that affect him decades later? Um, I guess it didn't because he lived in Colorado for quite some time and was, was just fine. He lived into his 90s. Maybe the doctors told him at that point that it was no longer a concern. Yeah, that's a possibility. Yeah, because because the moment you said that, I thought, wait a second, he didn't know. It's, one of the the sentences in here it says it was a cold and frosty morn, <laughs> and he's he's like, drinking coffee or, or cocoa or something, and he's blowing the, the the smoke off of it, and you know he gets dressed up uh, nice and warm and stuff, and he goes out there. Uh, the way you entreat you, I, I always like the way you ended this. You got my interest going. Uh, let's just say there's a time. It gets to the point where there's a confrontation. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and then uh, the sentence you wrote underneath it said, "And this is where things get inter- start to get interesting." <laughs> which got my. And of course, then I wanted to, see, to read the rest of it, and I was going, like, "Where's the rest?" Yeah. <laughs> It'll be in the book. <laughs> yeah, got it. But believe me, when it comes as as, as I'm going to be supporting, I haven't yet, but I'm going to be supporting the Kickstarter just to get this book. Because I'm, I'm now, you got my interest going. How's this going to work out? <laughs> because you know, I, I grew up in Pennsylvania, hmm. and it's funny. I like to watch the local news through the internet up there, and it's cold up there. Not mm-hmm. like Florida down here. It's, <laughs> it's if it gets into 60, that's considered cold down here. <laughs> but up there, of course, it's right now the temperature running in the 20s at night and the 30s in the day. I was going to say, we're in Michigan up here, and we just had a couple days of snowfall. I've been having snowball fights with my son the past <laughs> few days. <laughs> but you see, I, I like Florida. I don't have a problem with being down here. So I, from, I grew up a California boy, so uh, I completely understand. But I I run kind of hot anyway, okay. so I, I kind of enjoy the cold weather. Okay. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I can understand. It, it could be a little much. <laughs> it's, it's, but it, the way that you draw the the circumstances, shall we say, I don't want to spoil anything, but the way you draw the circumstances remind me a lot of of where I grew up mm. in in Pennsylvania, mm. and I have seen animals in the forest and stuff like that. So I am very much, you know, you 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 hooked me as, <laughs> as far as story goes because I'm I'm fascinated because I. You know, I've also been watching. There's a show on on Showtime called Dexter, and they have brought him back. And one of the things that they do, and of course, we're, that's completed by the time this posts, but they show a deer, a white deer that gets. Uh, let's just say he doesn't survive the uh, confrontation that happens there. And I was racked up by that. You know, I don't. I. I, I I'm a vegetarian, although I I still, I will eat chicken and maybe uh, fish, if it's a clean fish. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to eat beef or other things like that, because I, or anything that's considered unclean meat or something like that, I just not, I won't touch it. I just don't want that. But uh, it's when I started getting trouble with my stomach, I was a complete vegetarian until I hit that. Hmm. Then I had to, in order to survive, I had to eat. There are certain things that before I ate all the time, I no longer could eat. So I had to eat like clean meats and stuff like that just to survive. So the conflict in me, 
I, uh, relates to what's going on here. So I'm just like, you know, now what does he do? You know, what's <laughs> going to happen? You know, because I can I can uh, relate to this kind of stuff. I've never eaten deer meat or any of that kind of stuff. But I'm just kind of interested is how's he going to resolve this? Because on some levels, I can really relate to this, what your grandfather's going through. So I'm I am just gripped as to do it. the black and white even. I thought the art was really engaging and engrossing and stuff. And I've seen as I've gone through your website, there's some of the times where you show where the color has been introduced on some of the pages. And I thought that's really interesting. I have to say, you ought to do two versions. You ought to do a black and white version because <laughs> the black and white version really is, like I said, it's engaging. I really like. You know, my brain can fill in some of the color. Again, having been up in the in the woods in the winter and stuff like that, I can relate to all this good stuff. But I think your 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 art really does. There's this wonderful picture where he's walking through a field, and one of the trees has an owl looking out of it. And boy, does that bring me back to Pennsylvania. <laughs> I see. We used to see them all the time. And so for me, I, and there's birds flying in the background stuff. Boy, I can I can hear the silence <laughs> of that whole thing. I am transported into that field with him. I'm like sitting to the side watching him walk through the field. And I can there's that sound of silence, like the song says. When you're in a place like that and it's that quiet, it's different than what we're used to now. We're used to noise. Mm-hmm. And but that pa- that panel alone transported me up to northeastern Pennsylvania and the Pocono Mountains and stuff like that. And I we'd seen all this kind of stuff. I I you know I have to say I I I miss those those things. And so that's why I was so easily taken there because I really loved the whole you know the environment that to which you 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 moved me to. I just such beautiful. I think the artwork just really really works i'm going to be interested to see it in color you have well, only seen you. little little bits of it in color i haven't seen the whole thing but what i've seen even without the color is is like i said i keep using the word engaging but it's true i can i talk to you about the 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 uh, your, your grandfather's facial expressions sure I yeah really well like, first thank you for your very kind words here wayne i i really really appreciate that um i i try to make my artwork work mm-hmm. both in black and white and in color i mean the whole book is in color i'm very interested in working in color but uh i i make sure that at least i try to ensure that the artwork can stand on its own first before I start coloring it. So I really pay a lot of attention to line weight and depth of field and composition. Uh, so it, it's really heartening to hear you say these things. So thank you very much. Well, the, the last panel that I see is the grandfather standing there and he's looking into the forest. More than that, I won't say. But the expression on his face... I mean, it, it's it's very human, and I, I begin to feel a little bit about what he's feeling. You know, it, he's saying something that I don't want to spoil, but the 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 way that he looks and the way that it's drawn, I mean, it's 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 simple line drawings, but it's so profound in the way that he looks. I really understand what he's feeling and he's thinking. 
I mean, you, you provide a word balloon also, and that helps too. But the way that the expression is drawn is really... Wow, I, I mean, I feel like I know your grandfather already, which <laughs> is really so cool. amazing. Yeah, thank you. Um, you're welcome to mention any of the words on the page, too. All the pages that I sent you are on the Kickstarter page as well. So, okay. um, in fact, if you wanted to see the pages in color, I can toss you a link and you can take a look at those, too. That'd be great. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, the... Uh, uh, I really, you know, like I said, this poem is about empathy. I was really trying to put myself in my grandfather's shoes and think about what he may have been feeling, not just when he was writing this poem, but also if he were experiencing this narrative that he was writing about. You know, this this poem, uh, I, I don't know about you, Wayne, but I have a somewhat distant relationship with poetry. I, I don't read a lot of poetry. Mm -hmm. uh, but from my little interaction with poetry, I feel like poetry is something that is read and then reread and then sort of like deciphered and you try to figure out what the poem is trying to tell you. This poem that my grandfather wrote is not like that. It's, mm -hmm. it's very narratively driven it's very visual i feel like i've been able to see this poem for a long time like my whole life but i'm finally at the point in my cartooning career you know almost 20 years in where i'm feeling a confidence to tackle this project you know because it's something that is so near and dear to me it's so close to me that i want to do it justice and uh I'm I'm just so excited to to share this collaboration with my grandfather and me with uh, with with anybody who might be interested in. Well, it's it's very human. That, that's one thing I really came away from, and that's only seen like eight pages of it. <laughs> it, it really came away to me as very human. Of course, you got there's a dog involved, which of course is always going to get my attention. <laughs> and you know, uh, we we were talking before we started to record about animals and, mm -hmm. and and those kinds of things and I'm always attracted to that kind of thing and I'm always interested in how people interact with animals and nature and things like that uh, I, I do have a question is this going to be a regular comic size or what size is the page going to be no this is going to be kind of tiny um, it's going to be four and an eighth by five and a quarter inch tall so it you know, fits snugly in the palm of your hand mm -hmm. and makes that reading experience a little more intimate. And I also think that smaller size kind of references poetry chapbooks, mm -hmm. uh, which are typically printed at a smaller size. So for all those reasons, the book is going to be a, a little bit smaller, very intentionally so. And uh, I don't know, I've, I've printed out mock-ups of the book and held it and flipped through it. And uh, I really enjoy that size. And the, there's actually a book that got me thinking about this smaller size called Traditions by a Hmong American artist named Dua Chaka Her. And she put out this book that was this exact size I just told you about. Mm -hmm. And I read it over the course of the past year. And when I was holding that book in my hand, I, it just it felt so good. I, I love mm -hmm. the format. I love the size. And I said to myself, I have to make something like this. I have to do this. And I, I called up my printer and, you know, I literally took out a ruler and measured her book and called my printer to say, hey, can you print something this size? Can we make this? And they said, oh, yeah, we, we can make that. So, hmm. um, 
off off I went to <laughs> to start making this book. I mean, it was really a bunch of things that kind of all coalesced at the same time from reading uh, Dua's book, uh, Traditions, to experiencing the past couple years of, you know, everything we've all been through, the, the mm-hmm. pandemic, the um, I, I don't have to go through all of it. We've all been through it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, having those feelings about um, this this lack of empathy in our world, you know, mm-hmm. encountering my grandfather's poem again, really feeling a strong pull to make something, and it all just kind of coalesced uh, into this book. How long was it that he, or how long ago was it that he, that he passed? Uh, he passed in the late 90s. Uh, he was 93 years wow. old, 92, 93 years old when he passed. Oh, wow. Uh, so he's been gone for, you know, 20, 25 years at this point. Wow. Um, but, uh, but the poem was written almost 40 years ago wow. in 1983. And so it's been with me almost my whole life. I don't remember a time in my life when this poem did not exist. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's something that's been with me for a long time and I'm, I'm excited to, to share it with more people. Maybe it's just now after you, what we've been through, it starts to have a little more relevance. Is that, was that why you decided to do it at this point? It, it was certainly a contributing factor. Yes. Hmm. Um, you know, like I said, it was, you know, after, you know, Capitol riots and George Floyd and everything that we've experienced uh, over the past couple of years and just such divisive behavior on both sides, really, mm-hmm. on all sides, really. Mm-hmm. And just seeing so many people um, refusing to communicate with each other really, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it made me sad. And I wanted to put something out in the world that, you know, sort of, I, I don't know if combated that is the right word, but spoke against that. And, um, you know, I was reading through my grandfather's poetry and this poem jumped out at me and just, you know, I, I had to do something. I had to make this. So um, I'm, I'm happy to say it's it's finished and ready to be printed. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to it. I, I can't wait to get it and, and have a look at it and read it. It's interesting you say all this stuff because I've been thinking about some of the same things and that. When I was growing up, I was, you know, we used to, elections would come and go, and we would, it would not be like it is now. Mm-hmm. We used to, some, someone, obviously somebody would win and somebody would lose, but it wasn't the divisive, the, the, the divisive, I guess is the word that people use that it is now. We used to say, oh, we lost, well, next time maybe we'll win. Now it's like, oh my gosh, if we lose, it's the end of the world. <laughs> and I'm like, it's not going to be the end of the world. I remember, you know, I remember elections when people, I mean, how many, every election now is the end of the world. It drives me crazy. And and the thing that I, I that I, we need to be able to reach across and, and, and start to understand each other. But the way that we talk to each other now, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. We need to start being able to relate to each other, understand each other more. And I think that this book is, I hope it starts some of that discussion because, you know, we, you know, as, as different as your grandfather was from uh, what he was seeking, uh, it's, it's, as, it's as different as many of us are today 
when it comes to understanding reality or perceiving reality or, or working with each other. You know, I, it's just so interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely hope this is a catalyst for conversation, and I I love it so much. Not only because my grandfather did it, but because it talks about this important message in such a an approachable, non-preachy way. You know, it's just this this story of uh, a man and an animal and like I said, they're 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 unlikely understanding they come to, um, and uh, yeah, I I I hope this starts some conversations with people who, you know, might might not have had those conversations before, or even just make each one of us more aware as we go about our daily lives and uh, more cognizant about how we interact with people. Um, I don't know. I, I know those are our big hopes, but. Um, you know, well, something. gotta start somewhere, right? <laughs> you know, we gotta start somehow, somewhere, and we we haven't started yet, I don't think. But hopefully, and you never know what'll start a conversation and, and make it go like that. So my hope is that this will be, you know, it, it it it's a it's a great story. I can already tell it's already just eight pages, and I'm I'm locked in. <laughs> but the thing that that my hope is that we'll start to to look at each other and start to you know I just hope it's going to be something that, now, now see how, after we had this discussion I find it interesting that was was your grandfather the same one that that the elephanteater.com is based on <laughs> no that's that's a saying that my dad used to tell me okay. all the time when I was a kid. So um, for listeners who are not familiar, I self-published my work under the company name Elephant Eater Comics. And, you know, I, I get the question quite a bit, you know, why Elephant Eater? That's a very strange name. And when I was a kid, my dad would always tell me and my brothers and sisters, Welp, it's like eating an elephant. You just do it one bite at a time, and before you know it, you're done. So I always keep that in mind as I have big tasks in my life, you know, from going through school or getting a degree or making a book or, you know, being a parent or getting through a pandemic or anything. You know, it's it's so applicable to so many things in life, and it's really become a a family mantra of sorts, you know, mm-hmm. when my, my brothers and sisters saw this company name, they're like, Oh, yep. Yep. <laughs> one bite at a time. <laughs> That's great. Cause you know, it, I discovered this when I was working, I went to work for a, as they like to call it, a, a well-known metropolitan newspaper. Mm-hmm. And I would get to work and I'd be like, I am never going to make it to this day. <laughs> but what I did was, I just got started, mm-hmm. and I, st- I did one thing, and then that got done, and then I went to the next thing, and I got that done, and then and before I knew it, the day had shot by. Mm-hmm. I was stunned how fast the day had gone, uh, and and I just stopped worrying about it, and I, I was funny. There was a lady that was working next to me, wanted to be hired there, and what she, she was like an alarm clock. Every 15 minutes, she'd say, what time is it now? <laughs> And I got to the place where I finally had to say, please stop doing that. I, I'm not going to get through the day if every 15 minutes you're going to say, what time is it now? You know, and so I, I, I they, she actually wanted to be hired there. And 
and the the head of the department went and sat with her and said, "Now, what what's your problem?" She says, "Well, I need a lot of uh, supervision." She said, <laughs> and she was surprised, but she didn't get hired. That was the. <laughs> but see, that's the it's it's interesting how these experiences work. You know, when I uh, and now I don't even think about that. If I got a long project to do, I dive in. Let's, yep. let's get it done, get started, and we'll get through it. And and it's interesting how we learn these things through different experiences in our lives. Yeah, yeah. And I I, I listen to different productivity. Uh, you know, I don't know if gurus is the right word, but you know, people who. Who talk about productivity a lot, like uh, Cal Newport uh, has this podcast right now that I'm listening to called Deep Questions, and he's talking a lot about slow productivity. You know, accomplishing uh, bits and pieces of a larger project will eventually lead to a larger outcome, a larger goal than if you're just doing busy work all the time, like trying to answer email or things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so really carving out time to do that what he calls deep work. Um, but essentially it's boiling back down to that same statement, you know, do it one bite at a time before you know it, it's going to be done. And it's, it sort of got me chuckling as I was listening to his podcast. Cause I'm like, yep, dad's been telling me that for 40 some odd years now. <laughs> you know it's what? Nice to hear it, other people discovering it. <laughs> it's funny how it, it takes a while for us to understand how wise, the people were who came before us. Completely, and, yes. And but yet we still do. We still discover it. You know, yeah. if we're if we're lucky, we find out how smart they were. Yes, you're and right. Learn from it. That's just great stuff. Now, there's some things I do want to discuss with you because there's some interesting. You 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 teach at Michigan State University, right? That's right. Yep. I was listening to an interview. You were at San Diego Comic Con. And I was listening to an interview. A lady was interviewing you about stuff. And, and the, one of the things she was talking about, and I don't know if this is still true, you, were, you had like a comic session or a comics forum or something that you were doing. Are you still doing that at the, at the university? Yeah, we sure are. I'm the director of that event. It's been going for the past 14 years straight. And wow. every year we have... Uh, a bunch of stuff going on with the Michigan State University Comics Forum. You can check it out at comicsforum.msu.edu. But essentially, we have two keynote speakers each year. One is an award-winning comics creator, and the second is an award-winning comics scholar. We also have an artist alley with dozens of creators behind the table of their own work. We have academic panel discussions with scholars coming from literally all over the world to discuss their research in comics. We have ancillary book signings. We have film screenings. We have art exhibitions from the MSU uh, Special Collections Library, which incidentally is the largest public collection of comic books in the entire world anywhere ever <laughs> and wow. it sits in the basement of the msu library so we've just got a ton of comics resources here at michigan state university and uh in addition to directing that event i also am the coordinator of the comic art and graphic novel minor course of study um, so i teach the studio courses but we also have courses in comics literature here as well uh, so, yeah, there's there's a lot going on here. I I also hosted the Michigan State University Comic Art and Graphic Novel podcast for four years straight, 
And uh, yeah, I'm just I'm super proud of all the work that folks are doing here at MSU. And I'm not the only one. You know, we've got Randy Scott, who built that collection I just told you about, who's been working at MSU since the early 1970s, and he's wow. still working today. Wow. Uh, you know, Julian Chambliss is in the English department and doing a lot of great work on Afrofuturism and speculative fiction. Um, and there's just a ton of interest in comics on campus. So, uh, yeah, lots, lots to talk about there. I find that interesting because, you know, this I keep having an illusion that's been shattered again and again and again, is that all the comics people are in New York. <laughs> you know, because Marvel, everything that happens it happens in New York, and you know, and then not, then it's Los Angeles and and stuff. But as I when I moved to Florida, I made a really surprising discovery. There's a there's a thriving comics community here in in Florida. Mm-hmm. People making comics, several comics companies in in Florida and stuff like that people making comics and yeah you attended a convention that I have been to once that I really liked called Space yes in Ohio and uh, we went there one time I was I was shocked to go there and see how many people local people were making comics in Ohio yeah Space is a wonderful convention for those who have not heard of it it's an acronym the Small Press and Alternative Comics Expo or Space that's held in Columbus Ohio every single year and ever since I moved out to the Midwest I've been going to it every year and uh it's put on by a guy named Bob Corby super great guy he's a comics artist in his own right as well um and Columbus has a lot of stuff going on as far as comics is concerned too you know mm-hmm. it's I I I do not believe for a second that comics are located in New York. I mean, I interned at Marvel Comics when it was in New York uh, back in the early 2000s, but comics are everywhere. Comics are anywhere you go, in every state, in every country. Uh, you're going to find comics. They are widespread and proliferating uh, reading and movies and media uh, I don't know. You, you're getting me on a soapbox. I'm going to step down so we can talk about <laughs> other stuff if you want. <laughs> well, I'll tell you real quickly. I grew up in northeastern Pennsylvania, and my brother and I were the only comics collectors and that we knew of in that whole region. Hmm. And it was the weirdest thing. People would kind of make fun of you. You like superheroes. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> and stuff like that. Now, what's really interesting in that same community is an artist who actually works for DC. He lives in that community and he draws a lot of comic work. That's great. I That's always am like, I can't believe it. <laughs> There's a comic artist who's established living in the community where I grew up and I was ridiculed for liking Batman. Yeah, you know, I, I think folks, you know, our age probably went through. Uh, that similar ridicule as kids. And I wonder if that stigma still exists. Like if we were transported back to, you know, single digit years old, but living today, like would that stigma still affect us like it did when we were kids? I, I don't know. I wish I should ask around some, some folks in, <laughs> I, I don't in my think area. So. I, I don't think so because of the movies. Uh huh. Yeah, that's true. That's true. The, the, the movies have gone on and done all this stuff, and all these people who used to make fun of all that stuff are the ones going to the movies. <laughs> I mean, uh, box office numbers don't lie. I think everybody's going to those movies. <laughs> well, that's the thing, and I think you know, I, I, 
it doesn't it, it, both sides of the of the aisle as we like to say it, it's sometimes the comic companies like political parties you know I mean, <laughs> marvel and and dc are like two different political parties you can only like one <laughs> and i'm always kind of amused because i i buy whatever's good i don't necessarily right. buy only one company yeah for that kind of stuff so i and this is why i like indie comics too i think there's so many great things going on but which leads me to ask you i want to talk a little bit about the stuff that you developed and one of the ones you did recently is something called coin op carnival do you want to talk a little bit about that i got a chance on your website i saw a, a lady interview you about that book out in san diego comic-con do you want to talk about what that book's about Sure. Uh, let's see. How much time do you have, Wayne? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so Coin Op Carnival is my most recent book, just before A Hunter's Tale. Uh, you know, A Hunter's Tale should be printed here before too awfully long. But um, Coin Op Carnival is a book that my very good friend Nicholas Baldridge and I put together. Um, you know, we both co-write the book, but I illustrate the entire thing. It's 64 pages of full-color illustrated pages of talking about electromechanical uh, coin-operated amusement devices. And to put in simple language, that means old pinball and arcade games. And I am a big fan of pinball. Uh, I am sitting in a room with quite a few of them right now as we record this. And uh, I just think it's such a rich, deep an interesting hobby that can be enjoyed from so many different angles from, you know, you step up to the machine and it's as easy as fighting gravity. You're trying to keep the ball above the flippers, but mm -hmm. each and every game has their own nuanced and unique rule set that you're trying to learn and understand and uh, use that to your benefit to uh, either get a high score or beat the person that you're playing against or uh, understand the game better. So, you know, you can understand it on a player's level. You can understand it from an uh, electromechanical level to mechanics or, um, you know, repairing them. You can understand them from an artwork perspective or a historical perspective. The history of the pinball industry is so rich and interesting. So anyway, all that to say, I'm deep down the rabbit hole of pinball, and so is my buddy Nick. So we put together this book that is essentially, it's hard to sum up, but it's like an illustrated magazine. Yes, it has pages of full-blown comics, but I'd say about 20% of the book is comics, and probably the other 80% is illustrated text, but there are full-color illustrations on every single page of the book. We've got an interview with the most prolific pinball designer of all time. His name is Wayne Nyans, and uh, that takes up about a half of the book. And the other half of the book has several other articles from game reviews to tech segments to product spotlights. We even have paper craft models of those games that we reviewed in the book. And uh, because I'm a longtime comics fan, we also have a letters column. Um, so we just jammed a whole lot of stuff into 64 pages, and I could not be more proud of that first issue of Coin-Op Carnival. I have to mention, at your wedding, you handed out comics that you That's created. Right. <laughs> Talk a little bit about that, because I found that really interesting. 
Sure. So uh, my wife and I got married in 2012, and we thought that custom personal comics would be a little more memorable gift than candied almonds or an etched wine flute or something. <laughs> so I, I put together this uh, full color, I think it was an eight page comic um, talking about, you know, how we met, uh, you know, our life together and eventually ending at our wedding. So that was, that was a really special comic to work on. And you can, you can see that on my website as well. You've really been digging Wayne. I'm, I'm impressed. Been, that was I back there in the archives. I told you, I, I, I found your website very interesting and a lot of fun to read. Uh, again, it's elephanteater.com. And if you go onto the, the tab for comics, You'll see several of the comics uh, that Ryan has made, including Owen and Daddy, a 32-page full-color book of drawings that you did with your son, which I think is really cool, and then uh, autobiographical conversations. The, the the book we talked about was called Better Together, uh, the one that yeah, you're that was, in for your wife. That was our wedding comic. That's right. Yeah, yep. That was cool stuff. There's all these other interesting things going on in there. I could mention them. I could run down a whole bunch of them. <laughs> that are just amazing stuff that that you've done. The the and then one day, that's kind of an autobiographical uh, one. It's got, got some. I'm gonna have to pick up some of these because I think they're gonna be really interesting to read. And you, one of the great things about it too, you can get you have a thing on there to indicate you want them autographed. Yeah, like yeah. That. People purchase books on my website. I'm happy to sign them for for people. Um, yeah, so it sounds like you're scrolling around the comics page there. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of good stuff on here. Um, uh, one last thing I'm going to uh, ask you about. On your website, and of course, as, as somebody who runs a website too, I know how hard it is to keep everything up to date. The last thing you were talking about or mentioning as far as conventions go, and I saw you being interviewed at San Diego, you were talking about possibly getting to San Diego again in July. But, of course, that didn't happen. In fact, uh, San Diego happened in Thanksgiving weekend. Did you get to go to that this past time? No, I did not. We're still hunkering down pretty hard in my household because uh, I have a young son. And uh, at the time of this recording, he is not yet fully vaccinated. So we're mm. still trying to be pretty cautious, okay. uh, which means I'm not going to conventions right now and have not okay. for the past uh, couple few years in person. I know that conventions are starting back up again here, and uh, I do not have plans to attend one yet, but we'll see how that goes. Well, let me just ask you, what, what would the circumstances have to be before you consider it? <laughs> That's a good question, and this, this is different for everyone, so this mm -hmm. is a very personal viewpoint, but um, I, I'm, I'm in a place right now where the numbers are pretty high. Michigan is pretty much the hotbed of the United States right now. Mm. And so that makes me pretty uncomfortable uh, mm. having a young person in the house who is not fully vaxxed. Mm. Um, I, uh, the, the numbers would have to come way down. Mm. Uh, as we're recording this, the Omicron variant is uh, a big question mark. We're not sure how that's going to affect anything. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Maybe by the time this airs, we'll get that figured out. I mm -hmm. say, hopefully, mm -hmm. um, there's just so gosh darn many variables, Wayne. It's it's hard for me to say uh, 
Okay. Uh, when X happens, I will be at shows again because, man, mm-hmm. who would have known that there's something past Delta, something past Omicron, something mm-hmm. past who knows what's after that. You know, right, <laughs> just, right. I hope we can get this under control. Right. Well, how's this affecting your job, though, as far as like teaching comics at college? Yeah, so uh, we at MSU moved online like many people did, Mm -hmm. uh, and at the start of this academic year in September of 2021, about 75% of the classes were moved back to in-person teaching. Um, I I was pretty uncomfortable with that. As I mentioned, I have a young son. We're Mm -hmm. still uh, doing at-home learning at home learning with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I understand we are in the minority, but that is what we've chosen to do in our family. Mm-hmm. And uh, in order to keep him safe, uh, we thankfully are able to continue teaching online. Uh, so I've been teaching my comics classes online. And mm-hmm. uh, traditionally in those classes, at the end of the semester, each student has their own physical book that we would take to a local comic book store and have an in-store signing where they would sign and sell what they made over the course of the past semester. Wow. Uh, you know, it's, it's really important for me to show my students that their art has worth and mm-hmm. that if they want to keep doing artwork, they need to be able to monetize that. And I, I feel like that's a sorely uh, under-discussed topic in most art institutions you know it's all about making 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 mm-hmm. concept concept but then how do you make a living at that mm-hmm. so uh, i really try to instill that in my class now for the past couple of years that component that professional development opportunity at the end of the semester where we have an in-store signing has not been present so in addition to classes moving online i've also moved their end of semester event online as well. So instead of going to a store and talking with people in person, we will publicize a web page that's on my website. Uh, You can even go back a few months and find the last one if you want, where students will record pitch videos, you know, that are like under a minute telling people what their book is about. Uh, They'll have a PayPal button there that um, basically people can purchase their digital or physical books if they choose to print books. Um, so, uh, in addition to that, for the advanced class, I also offer the opportunity to be coached through a Kickstarter campaign for their book. And, uh, one of my students who took me up on that offer, uh, last year and her campaign ran from 2020 to 2021, you know, it was December to January, Mm -hmm. that student earned over $2,500 (laughs) For their comic book that they made in my class. You know, if if I thought back to my first comic book, (laughs) you know, almost 20 years ago, I was begging people to buy it. I was begging stores to carry it on consignment even. And just the thought of making a profit like that was unthinkable. And Mm -hmm. now with Kickstarter, there is this vibrant community built up in the comics category mm-hmm. and it is an incredible place to launch new publications to become a part of a community and mm-hmm. see other comics that are being made from typically underrepresented groups and mm-hmm. things that you know traditional publishers would not take a chance on so mm-hmm. i'm a big fan of the kickstarter community and what it has done for small press folks mm-hmm. uh, including 
some of my students. Mm-hmm. Well, I got one last question to ask to, to ask you about. Is that your son did a Kickstarter? <laughs> That's right. Talk about that, because that you know, I mean, you, you're teaching them young how to get involved in the comics community and stuff like that, <laughs> which is great. I mean, I I, I want to say I think it's great that you're being so thorough in teaching students on how to make a profession out of it and that's terrific but your son that uh, how did that work what was that all about so yeah i've i've had a lot of people say well of course he's doing this he's your son but (laughs) (laughs) but but really he started making a comic book entirely of his own volition and (laughs) he was not asking me for help or you know he'd show me a page when it was done and i would tell him how great it was but mm-hmm. aside from that i mean it this was really all him mm-hmm. and so when he was done with his comic you know we were this was during pandemic time and mm-hmm. um he came to me and he said hey daddy i want to i want to sell my comic book can we go around to people in the neighborhood and and sell my book and i told him you know Ordinarily, that'd be a great idea, but you know this is COVID times right now, so we mm-hmm. can't really do that. Mm-hmm. But I have another idea, and I <laughs> told him, you know, we could possibly sell this online if mm-hmm. you want to. And so, you know, we we had conversations about that, and if he wanted to do that or not, because I I really wanted it to be his uh, so, something that was his. And mm-hmm. if you read through that campaign, it's pretty apparent that the entire campaign is in his words. You know, I would ask him questions about like, well, what's this book about? But uh, when he answered, I would sit there typing and, you know, the campaign is my son's. Mm -hmm. So it's for his first comic book. And, um, you know, we were not expecting much. Uh, I I think we thought we were going to print this book on our home printers and maybe send it to 10 or 20 people mm-hmm. at the end of the campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, that campaign went bonkers. Over <laughs> 300 people bought my son's first comic book. Wow. We printed, we printed 450 of his first comic wow. book. And we raised enough money where even after Paying for the printing of the book, which, by the way, we did not print at home. We did not print 450 <laughs> comic books that are printed. It became quickly apparent that we needed to get a printer involved, so mm. we did that. Uh, mm. So after paying for printing, paying for supplies like uh, envelopes and uh, bags and boards and all that, paying for shipping, even after all that, and giving my son a little spending money for all the hard work he had done, we were still able to sock away over a couple thousand dollars in his college fund for my son making his first comic book. It was really wow. an incredible experience for our whole family and something that we'll never forget. And if anybody's interested in what kind of money was made and where all that money went. I have an entire post on my website that outlines where every single penny went. Um, I just think it's uh, a good practice to be transparent about this sort of thing, but uh, also to show, hey, here's a way that 
up-and-coming comic book artists can really make a go of things. Wow. So uh, and now he's got his toe in the water. Is he thinking about another one? <laughs> I've had that conversation with him every once in a while. And so far, the answer has been, oh, I, don't, I don't think yet, Daddy. But, you know, maybe <laughs> one of these days. I I am certainly not pushing him. Like I said, his first comic was made entirely of his own volition. That's mm-hmm. It was not even a suggestion of mine. Mm-hmm. I guess it's just by osmosis that he's seen me doing it around the house. But mm-hmm. So, yeah, not yet. And I'm not sure when and if that will happen. If okay. it does, great. And if not, equally great. I just want him to be doing something that you know he's excited about. Uh, two, I still have two bits of information we need to do. If people want to uh, take the classes at uh, Michigan, how do they sign up for that? Sure. So you can go to tinyurl.com slash MSU Comics Minor. That's MSU like Michigan State University. So tinyurl.com slash MSU Comics Minor. And that'll take you to the page on the Office of the Registrar that takes you through all the requirements for it. You know, it outlines all five courses for the minor, and um, that's where people can find out more about it. They can also contact me. Um, I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, Wayne's mentioned my uh, web address, which is uh, elephanteater.com, and I'm spending a whole lot of time at a huntersTale.com <laughs> right now. Well, if people want to f- keep up with you specifically, are there social media things that you do, like Facebook or any of that stuff? Yes, indeed. I, I think I'm on most of them. And if you go to elephanteater.com and go to the contact page, I list all of them I'm a part of there. Wow. Well, it's it's been a real pleasure to talk with you, Ryan. Much success with the Kickstarter. you got to beat your, your son's total. <laughs> I know. I'm trying to follow in my fun, my son's footsteps here. I'm hoping I can live up to it. <laughs> well, keep up the wonderful stuff. We'll have to talk again sometime in the future because this was great fun to talk with you about all this. I, I, fast, I hadn't even considered college courses and stuff like that. So that is really – I hope people will, will investigate that because I think that's something that's really – I'm a little old for that now, but I think that uh, anybody who's interested in it – Oh, you know, it's never too late to to learn some stuff. I knew a lady who was in her 60s when she became a nurse. She went to college and and became a nurse. So it's never too late to follow an interest. So I would say go for it. And, you know, Ryan, keep up the wonderful stuff. It's all really interesting and fascinating. i got to get my hands on that book, boy. I can't wait for that to come out. Well, thank you so much, Wayne. I really appreciate you spending your time with me here tonight. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much for letting me chat about my new book, A Hunter's Tale. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, from flesh and blood, I can be ignored, I can be destroyed, but as a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News. Interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. And that's it for this week. Be back next time. We'll have another great interview with another terrific comics creator. But until then, keep reading your comics.